Blue foul will take a shot downfield. Intercepted by Bryce Bubba. What a one-handed catch. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted. Colorado got it. Witherspoon with the biggest play in Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Harder to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Newfell. Locked and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Olamode, and he runs it in from the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Muster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Last night, the national championship game, the college football season, is a wrap. Kind of sad. It is, but that was a hell of a way for it to go right. out. Although I will say the game kind of sucked until the fourth quarter, but that's all that really matters, I guess. That, that last quarter was absolutely nuts. Between that last quarter and the Rose Bowl game, I think it kind of overshadows what was kind of a blah bowl season overall, yeah. but... When two of the best four, four biggest games, I should say, are as good as they were, that's what we're going to remember five years from now about this bowl season. Yeah, definitely. It was unbelievable game for the second year in a row. Uh, I mean, Clemson certainly seems to be on their level. I actually was, I called them a little bit overrated before the game. I just didn't really see, their, their resume was fine. They just didn't look great in a lot of their games. But I think between the ACC crushing bowl season um, and Clemson's performance, we Probably were a little bit. The ACC was definitely pretty underrated this year. Obviously, a disappointing bowl season by the Pac-12 overall. We'll get into the Buffaloes' performance out in San Antonio. We've got a lot to talk about on this show: Mike McIntyre's contract extension, Charles Clark's departure, the DC search, the Joe Tumpkin mess. Lots to talk about here. Of course, we have our Buff Stampede mailbag, and then as we've done with our recent shows, we're going to spend. The first three-fourths or so talking about football, and then the last fourth or so uh, talking about basketball. New year, new era. Hashtag new era is what uh, Cheverini's putting out there on social media, of course. He's the one that made the rise popular in 2016. You're shaking your head over here, Tyler. You don't like this. No, it's weak. Here's my thing. I don't hate it or love it. On the car ride to your place, Tyler, I spent a good, I don't know, five, six minutes actually thinking about what would be better than New Era, and nothing really stood out. So, criticize it, but do you have a better idea? No, I don't, <laughs> which is the main issue. Um, I haven't really given it much thought, honestly, but it's just, I don't know, there's a hat company named New Era. I feel like the Avalanche use, it's not New Era, but something similar to that okay. that I see on posters all the time. Like I just feel like it's recycled. Do you like the thought of having... 
kind of a hashtag that recruits yeah. and everybody can kind of glom onto. Yeah, Did you always. like the rise? Yeah. Oh yeah, the rise was great. I mean, and it fit kind of what got we were trying to do over time. Yeah. I mean, I guess I still like it a lot more than New Era, though. I I would have I would like to see something more similar like the standard of excellence that we expect to have moving forward. You know, like we're back to being a program that we have been traditionally throughout the last twenty five years. Um, back to the original Coach Mac, I guess you could say. So something that kind of is an ode to that, I think, would be awesome. It doesn't bother me so much because there's a hat company called New Era. I, I think the only criticism I would have there is New Era sounds like a new head coach taking over almost, a new staff. Um, yeah. Yes, there's some turnover on the staff, but you've got a lot of guys coming back on offense. I know you have a new starting quarterback, but it's not like this is starting fresh or anything. You've got mm-hmm. – and that's the whole point that Mike McIntyre was making in terms of – we have built this program to now where we can reload instead of having to, you know, basically uh, rebuild. Yeah, I hope that's true. We'll see. I mean, this this is his year to prove it, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of NFL talent leaving this defense. Um, it's going to be difficult to replace all those guys for sure. Mike McIntyre, of course, will be a well-compensated individual here going forward. He signs a three-year extension to 2021 that, of course, has to get approved by the Regents, I'm hearing that should go through an average salary of $3.25 million over its five-year length, beginning with an initial salary of $3.1 million for the 2017 season. I wouldn't kind of compare that. You know, We don't know what Clay Helton makes at USC because it's a private school. Um, and Stanford is too, but they have announced that David Shaw makes a little over $4 million. Yeah. So uh, you look at it, in 2016, the $3.1 million that McIntyre is going to make in 2017 would rank him tied for sixth among those 11 Pac-12 head coaches where we know what they make. So he went from being the least compensated head coach in the conference to basically middle of the pack and really not all that far from the top tier. You look at it, uh, Todd Graham, Mark Helfrich, Jim Mora, Chris Peterson, and Kyle Whittingham all made between 3.1 and 3.65 in 2016. So you're, you're – you're kind of in the middle tier, but again, there's not a huge separation between really those guys below David Shaw. And then in terms of nationally ranking that among FBS head coaches, McIntyre's 3.1 million salary in 2017. If you looked at uh, compared to guy, what guys made in 2016, would have ranked him tied for 33rd nationally. I would say it's one year, but it's the best year the program's had in a really long time. This seems to be almost exactly where he should be slotted in terms of a salary. Yeah, middle of the road, I think, is perfect for him. It's what he deserves. I think it's also a good deal for the school. Yeah, I mean, it it is just one year, but he's also... It's not just one year. I mean, when he took over this program, it was probably the worst in the country outside of maybe Kansas. Um, So there's, there's been a lot of building that had to go on for this team even to make a bowl game, let alone finish 17th in the country. Uh, at the end of this year, so uh, he's he's had a lot of work to put in, and even if things w- went south from here, which I don't really foresee happening, at least not in the next few years, he left this program in much better shape than he than he came into it with, which is all you can really ask a coach to do. And we know that the assistant coach salary pool for Colorado is going to increase as well. Uh, it, it it had to happen, and and I know. There's some people that thought, well, why couldn't you step up and pay Jim Levitt 1.2? That's just not what you do for coordinators in the <laughs> conference right no. now. Yeah, it's not. I mean, that's a lot of money for a guy that has proven time and again that he wants to be a head coach again. I mean, you're paying a coordinator basically head coach money 
in many conferences around the country um, when you think he's going to leave in a couple years anyway. I mean, you could say, oh, we, we could have kept him for a year or two. It's like, okay, is that really worth it in the end to spend that much money when you can get someone who might be with McIntyre for a lot longer? If you're a Colorado fan, you're hoping this is kind of the start of good news again. So much positivity throughout the fall. And then the month of December, just for the Buffaloes, frankly, was not a very good month between the Alamo Bowl, which we'll get into more, and, of course, Jim Levitt leaving, Charles Clark, Joe Tumpkin, all the stuff we're going to talk more in depth about. There's still a lot to be optimistic about. And, again, kind of with the recruiting, you've seen some guys looking around. But in the past None of those other schools were interested in CU's commit, so it's it's just yeah. getting used to being successful again as a program and covering a, a successful <laughs> program, honestly. Yeah, and our fan base obviously is not used to it based on the board the last couple of weeks. It's been a little bit ridiculous, honestly. Uh, you want to play with the big boys, they're going to come poaching your recruits from time to time. That's just the way it goes. Uh, new head coaches coming in, obviously a guy like Herman going to Texas, they're going to get some guys from Texas that weren't really looking at them in the past. There's a lot, and same thing with Baylor. I mean, I think those two programs are kind of trying to make that push back to relevance right now. So those Texas boys are going to be hard to get. It's really as simple as that. You know, and we didn't have a great December. You know, I can understand recruits being a little bit leery based on how the last month has gone. But even in a worst-case scenario, we're going to finish with a top 40 class this year. Uh, And I don't expect that worst-case scenario to occur. So that's considerably better than anything we've seen in the last five or six years. Um, and again, success isn't linear. You're going to have bumps in the road. You just kind of have to deal with it. Stop freaking out about every little thing. If you're hoping for news on the defensive coordinator search, hopefully you are subscribed to buffstampede.com, have, have been following our reporting there. Charles Clark has departed the Buffalo staff since we last did a show, Tyler. He receives a two-year guarantee from the Ducks. He gets to expand his coaching connections a little bit. He does hitch his wagon to Jim Levitt. We'll see how that works out for him. Probably could have handled the situation a little bit better. How did you kind of view this whole situation? Yeah, I was a little surprised by how he handled the whole thing. I mean, it seems like McIntyre was pretty disappointed with how he handled it, not really being 100% up front with the situation, which is a bummer. Um, They seem to be going after a lot of our commits. Uh, in a hurry, which I suppose you're allowed to do, but still kind of is going to rub some people the wrong way. So hopefully they're thick-skinned enough to deal with that because it's not really a huge... I know most Colorado people aren't going to be a huge fan of that, and I'm sure the staff isn't either. Uh, yeah, hitching your wagon to Levitt is... I mean, he's a great coordinator, so you're going to have success, I think. Um, I do think it's smart on his part to kind of get out of that McIntyre coaching tree a little bit. Uh, but he's going to have another rebuild ahead at Oregon their defense is trash so uh, we'll see how that works out but I mean it it hurt me more than than the Levitt one honestly because I think we could have paid him enough to keep him around and weren't able to do so Levitt that's too much money so I understand him wanting to go but with the assistant pool going up I feel like we could have kept Clark so that one's they absolutely could have kept Clark it wasn't a financial thing there yeah Um, Oregon's defense is trash but there's talent on that side of the ball. It was just really inexperienced this year. Mm-hmm. I do see similarities between that defense and maybe what Jim Levitt had to deal with with CU a couple of years ago. I mean, people were saying CU's defense was trash, and rightfully so, but those mm-hmm. guys developed and with some good coaching became one of the top 20 defenses in the country. Yeah. I, Levitt said upon his arrival he the uh, building was going to be even 
more severe than he thought when he got there. So it would be interesting to see how quickly he can turn it around there. I mean, I'm sure he will. Oregon gets a bunch of talent. What Charles Clark's departure means for Colorado in terms of neg- a negative impact, or even, who, who knows, even a positive impact is, of course, going to be decided by who Mike McIntyre replaces him with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't know who that is yet. So we have uh, an idea of the defense coordinator, but not on in terms of who's going to fill Charles Clark's shoes. So I guess we'll discuss that at a later time. The other guy that was coaching the Buffalo's defensive backs this past season, Joe Tumpkin, of course, if you haven't seen it, I guess go to buffzone.com and read the story there. It wasn't by Brian Howell, but uh, someone else that writes for them that uh, gave basically the court report on in terms of the uh, restraining order that's against Joe Tumpkin. We've only heard one side of the story, right? I mean, and I do think you have to kind of let this play out in the courts, but uh, the optics look really bad right here. And, of course, it's the reason that he's not a candidate for the defensive coordinator position. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. If this is even remotely true, I think he's got to be let go. Um, there's not really any tolerance for this kind of stuff anymore. Uh, he's a grown adult. It's not like a kid making a stupid decision while he's drunk or something. That still isn't excusable, but at least it can be learned. You know, that's like a teaching tool type moment you know, but you're still going to move on and you're going to have to play somewhere else. I mean, he's 40 years old. I mean, this isn't really, you know, there are no excuses for him. Um, but we'll again, see. we, we have don't seen, know the, the full story. Right, yeah, we've seen plenty of situations where these type of things are made up completely, so we'll see how it plays out, but it definitely does not look good on the surface. It's tough to have more of a comment on that, honestly. Just yeah. not, you know, if you were flying the wall, you'd have a strong take here, but. Yeah, until it, until it plays out. I'm not really going to say one thing or the other about what should happen, but it doesn't look good for sure. So we have not recapped the Alamo Bowl, and we didn't lead off with it here because we didn't want people just to tune out, right? <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough. Um, there was a lot of people pissed off about what some, some of our friends had said about the energy level. I mean, even you had commented that they had to start over at practice the week before the game, so... There was definitely some hints out there that there wasn't as much focus as maybe there needed to be, and that certainly proved to be the case. Um, obviously, Akello being hurt and not being able to really play, and Cheeto also being hurt and struggling in the game, have a big impact on our defense. There's no doubt about that, but it also appeared that they didn't really have a whole lot of interest in being there, which I'm not a huge fan of. All my predictions were based on Colorado secondary matching up. The second we heard pregame that... Those guys were both banged up. All of a sudden, my thoughts from thinking that Colorado wins by a touchdown or so was to the fact that they they weren't going to win that football game. Um, I don't know. How do you quantify all the stuff going on around the bowl game? The fact that they didn't have experience doing that with all those festivities. It was a very uh, active week out there in San Antonio in terms of all these things going on, all these distractions. Oklahoma State been to 11 straight bowl games. Do you think that played a factor in this game i'm sure it did to some degree uh but for us to not be in a bowl game for over a decade and to come out and have a performance like that is pretty unacceptable to me like i know in the, in the end it doesn't mean a whole lot and bowl games are by and large useless unless you're in one of the major ones um but it would have just been nice for the fan I mean, there's a lot of colorado fans in the building even more than oklahoma state which was surprising to me given the distance and difficulty of getting down there they all came down there to watch this team finish off the season the right way. I mean, you don't even have to necessarily win, but just giving a solid effort would have been awesome, and 
I mean, the game was over pretty quick. It became apparent pretty quickly that they were not going to put up a ton of points. Philip Lindsay was about the only bright spot yeah. on offense for Colorado. In fact, uh, it's easy to you know be a Monday morning quarterback, but he he should have gotten the ball more in that football. Yeah, he should get the ball more. I mean, at this point, it's crazy. I mean, yeah, he's the one guy, and he looked like the fastest dude on the field, which I would. Most games, he does not look like the fastest guy on the field. People would say, oh, he doesn't have that top-notch speed to break away. But he was running past around through everybody the whole game. Didn't get enough touches. Didn't use him enough. Uh, it made me feel good about what he could potentially do next year, though. Uh, with another year of development, he has a chance to have a really special season. Oklahoma State writers were saying, if you had told me Colorado only, only score eight points against this subpar Cowboys defense going into the game, I would have laughed in your face. Yeah. That was not uh, not expected there. Oklahoma State, of course, racks up over 500 yards of offense. Uh, they they got some dudes on that side. Yeah, of the and they definitely have a good team. Um, I've never seen Cheeto give up yardage like that before, so it was kind of surreal. Well, uh, that's when you knew that he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Well, after like well after the second one, I was like, hmm. And then at three or four, and I was like, there's got to be he's hurt, and there's no other way because he, he's a good receiver. But I've watched Cheeto lock up better guys. Yeah. Than James Washington. So I said before that week that San Antonio was a perfect set for a bowl game like this. The Riverwalk's a good time. Did I oversell it? Uh, the Riverwalk is really cool, but I will say it was really disappointing that they close everything early. There's Not only, everything. But pretty some. much. I mean, there's only like four, four bars, restaurants open after 10 p.m. With all of those people in town, like you're just giving away money. Like, as someone who works at a restaurant and a bar, I can't imagine making that decision to just give up all that money because the four bars that stayed open probably made their entire quarter in that week. I mean, all four of those places were absolutely a zoo for three nights in a row while everything else was closed. It just didn't make any sense to me. But, yeah, the Riverwalk is cool. It was a lot cooler than I expected. We had a, we had a ton of fun, but the rest of San Antonio doesn't have a whole lot to offer. And you and your whole crew have avoided falling in the river walk? That's an yes, accomplishment. Yes, no falling in the river. I didn't see it's, anyone falling either, which apparently, I saw somebody which apparently you did. So I'm disappointed. <laughs> that was like the biggest miss of the trip. It was pretty much amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you feel bad. For, I mean, well, you don't feel bad for the guy. He was an idiot. Like, it, it is somewhat easy to fall into that thing, though, because... People are like stopping and taking selfies. I mean, if like, someone shoved you, you could eat. Like, oh, for you're sure. You're going in. For like, sure. if someone just wants to be a dick. Yeah. But this guy was all alone. He was <laughs> kind of wobbling, and we're kind of looking, and we're like, should we run over there and save this guy? And then he kind of caught himself, and then he kept trying, and then, like, boom, it happened real quick. <laughs> Shoulder first into the river walk. <laughs> Love it. It's it's kind of cool with the lights too at night, kind of walking up and down. I don't know mm-hmm. if you walked along the river walk. Oh yeah, walks. we went up and down plenty of times. I probably, <laughs> oh gosh, I must have walked about because I was maybe a, a mile and a half my hotel from the main part of the river walk, mm. and then about two miles away from where all the press conferences were. So every day I would go back and forth. I probably walked about six miles a day, and it didn't feel because it's just kind of a cool atmosphere. You don't ever feel like you're really straining to get anywhere. It's kind of a leisurely, leisurely thing, but people do forget how to walk on that thing at times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the, the line for that stupid boat. Like we, yeah, went to dinner, right. we went to dinner on Wednesday night, and there was easily a 1,000 people in line. Like, you could just walk back and forth right, and right. get the entire thing done in the time it would take you to get to the front of this line. Yeah. I don't understand what the big deal with the boat is. <laughs> Tyler, Americans are lazy. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> I guess. 
don't know. It was pretty bad, though. So, anyways, uh, by and large, aside from the game, a good experience. Yeah, I don't think I need to go back, honestly. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was fun. We had a good time. Riverwalk, we had a good time with it. So, we think the Buffs are pretty much a lock to be a bowl team next year, right? Because of their yeah. non-conference schedule? Yeah, I feel pretty good about them getting to a bowl game. My goal for Colorado is to avoid the Sun Bowl. That's that's the goal for 2017 in my book. Yeah, let's go. Let's go to the Holiday Bowl, maybe Foster Farms, Vegas Bowl. That'd be dope. Is I the Vegas Bowl is actually below the Sun Bowl in the hierarchy, which is kind whatever. of as long as I don't have to go to the Sun Bowl, I will definitely not be in El Paso, Texas. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I I had my feelings <laughs> about Christian McCaffrey sitting at the bowl game until I found out that it was the Sun Bowl <laughs> that he was sitting out, and then I was like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> No need. So the Buffaloes finished number 17 in the final AP poll. USC finished third, Washington fourth, Stanford 12th, and then Utah, the only other Pac-12 team ranked. They, of course, finished below the Buffs. They finished at number 23. I think 17 is about right where they deserve to be, especially after kind of laying an egg there in the last two games. Definitely. Uh, I think it also is the best representation of where they actually are nationally. Um, I think we... I mean, I understand why we were ranked so highly throughout that stretch. We had won a ton of games in a row. But looking back at the schedule, we beat a couple teams that are borderline top 25 and lost to all the good teams that we played for the most part. So um, I think we're probably somewhere around the 20th best team in the country, and there's absolutely no reason to feel bad about that or be upset about that. It's a hell of a lot better than anybody thought we were going to be. So um, all in all, great year. Long time since the Buffs finished the season ranked, so I don't know. Does the college football playoff committee come out with the final rankings, or is this 17 from the AP what we're going off of? I honestly have no idea. I, I would guess not. I mean, there's no really no real reason to have the playoff committee rank um, a final listing. I mean, we, you know who won. That's, yeah, the, that's their yeah. entire right. goal. I didn't know. I did the uh, postseason eligibility chart breaking down the Buffaloes roster, position by position, class by class. Another year where there's going to be a big junior class and a big senior class together. Undoubtedly, there will be some attrition between now and the start of camp. In fact, uh, there has to be in order for the numbers to work. But you look at it right now, the roster shows 21 scholarship seniors, 22 scholarship juniors. And so I, I think that's, to me, last year when I did the postseason eligibility chart and I saw something like 86 like upperclassmen, and then this year, following a big senior class, still seeing that number, you know, up in the the the, the high forties. What did I say? Eighty? No. Eighty. Yeah, that was, right. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lot. <laughs> uh, well, last year they had, I think, it was forty six scholarship upperclassmen on my postseason eligibility chart. This year, forty three. Again, that number is going to come down a little bit with attrition, but that's yeah. that's the range you want to continue to be at. And the junior college signees, mid year guys, helps with that number. Definitely. I mean, those. The guys they got on defense is huge there. Uh, I think they're, you're going to have at least two starters come out of that that grouping, which is huge. Uh, fill the gaps a little bit on defense. We'll see how that plays out. But, yeah, I mean, you have to feel good about the chance of the offense being good. Even if Steven Montez is adequate next year, you'd have to feel like the offense is going to be special. Most of the offensive linemen back, a couple studs there. Uh, Philip Lindsay. Has a chance to have a huge year. You got all your wide receivers back, plus Jawan Winfrey. Plus, we'll see how many of the incoming wide receivers end up in Boulder. But there's going to be a lot of talent out there on the perimeter. 
I did think looking at it, it showed the importance of landing a prep nose tackle, a top tier guy like a Damian Daniels there, because uh, there's a little bit of a gap. And then you got to finish strong with DB recruiting. Uh, and part of that's hanging on to Morel Osling, who got the Oregon offer, Oregon State's after him. UCLA. UCLA. has an offer out to him. Uh, Chris Miller, a lot of schools coming in after him as well. Um, and then finding a guy, you know, Samuel Barnes is a guy they've targeted, but he's got some other visits. So yeah, they now they, has an Oregon offer as well. You can pretty much just assume that everybody we looked at has an Oregon <laughs> offer. <laughs> but that that to me, kind of in terms of filling out the, this recruiting class, those are the the, the yeah. two needs for, for me. They're gonna apparently do spring ball earlier this year, and by that I mean they're gonna finish before spring break. In the past, a lot of times they would go first half of spring ball before spring break. The second half afterwards, the spring game would be somewhere in the middle of April. I think the positive of doing it earlier is, of course, if guys get hurt, there's a longer time from the end of spring ball to mm-hmm. camp to get healthy. But from a selfish standpoint, I like the later spring ball. For, from a coverage standpoint, it kind of shortens the gap between spring ball and camp. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, it, it's nice because you get these guys who are on campus in early. Uh, we have a ton of early enrollees this year, so... From from that perspective, we're going to get to see a lot of these kids right away, which is awesome. I always look forward to spring ball because I feel like it's a little bit more accessible to us. Um, so from that from that perspective, I'm excited. Montez is obviously going to get a ton of reps, so see how he develops. I had a chance to sit down with Drew Wilson earlier this week. Uh, Three-part Q&A series. The first one is up. second one will be out shortly. Some good stuff. He's uh, very candid and honest. I like his kind of ability to have an old school approach with certain things in the weight room, but in terms of dealing and interacting with the kids, he understands millennials are a different breed. Uh, he gets that, so it's kind of a kind of a meshing. I think somebody pointed this out on the board. A kind of a meshing of the old school mm-hmm. and new school. Definitely, uh, I loved the first portion of the interview that is already out on the boards. Uh, I love people who are direct, honest, um, and I thought he was. Definitely very forward with the kids on, you know, I'm not trying to kill you, but I am trying to make sure we don't lose by 30 in our bowl game again. And hopefully the kids agree with that because that's his job. So, Also did uh, some video interviews down at the All-Colorado Award Ceremony at 6-0 Strength. Uh, the Heston Page videos up have one coming on Jonathan Van Deest and Ray Robinson as well. And then doing a lot of interviews with the early enrollee guys, high school kids that will be on campus next week. So a lot of content. And then of course, we've been covering the coaching searches as well. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Bryce Winnie had this to say. What is the best position battle in the spring? Lots of defensive spots will be open, but quarterback could be fun as well. Interested to see where Lytle is at when he comes on campus, but regardless, the spring will really benefit all three young quarterbacks. There's a clear best position battle here. D-line. Yeah, uh, I think that's a big one. I think the second cornerback position between Joe Meese and um, Dante Wiggly is going to be big as well. Uh, kind of see who fits into that nickel role as well. It's going to be kind of interesting for me. Who, who you got um, there? Wigley, Nick Fisher, Blackman, Joel Meese? 
As the nickel? As the nickel. Or do you do that buff backer again where you have Ryan Muller or an Evan White? Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think right now probably you're going to kind of go – Ryan Muller will play a ton of minutes there depending on um, formations and stuff. They'll go back and forth between Muller and probably Nick Fisher would be my favorites. I do like Nick Fisher's yeah. instincts in that role. Yeah, he, he um, was impressive in all the games that he got a significant amount of time this year. So that was good to see. I think the secondary maybe has a little bit more depth than it's being given given credit for right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, D-line is going to be probably the most important for the success of the team. Uh, but it's hard. I guess I would just say it's hard to watch that in practice and really get an idea of who's separating themselves there outside of who's playing the snaps. Trey Udofi and Ronnie Blackman, too, a cornerback. I want to see how those guys have developed. We've heard good things from the coaches about what they've done on campus. They're going to kind of round out that depth at cornerback for you next year. Yeah, I mean, you look at kind of the defensive line battle at the three technique, five technique spots. You've got a couple guys in Leo Jackson and Tim Coleman that have that experience, but then you bring in Chris Malumba, Frank Umu is, from what I'm hearing, has a has a chance to make a case for a starting gig. Tariq Roberts might be another year away, but mm-hmm. could potentially be a, a wild card there as well. The question we keep getting all the time, and I'll throw it out there again, is is will Eddie Lopez practice with some fire? Because he's got an opportunity right now. This is his yeah. opportunity. He's going to be a junior next year. This is th- Yeah, I mean, if he can't get it done this year, he's not going to play probably at Colorado. So this is kind of his last-ditch effort. Um, the only other position battle that I kind of had written down in my head was punt return. Uh, I think Isaiah Oliver is going to be your number one corner next year probably. So we'll see if they want him still in that role. I feel like maybe they probably don't. So it could be a younger guy that Ronnie Blockman type or maybe Jay McIntyre gets a job back. It'll be interesting to see how they play that role. There's a lot of rumors that Katie Nixon's really looking around. If he signs with Colorado, I'm putting him as my front runner. Yeah. I know he's not going to be on campus for spring, so it's not mm-hmm. part of the d- discussion here. And then just one last thing on the D-line. I'm curious to see uh, how Dante Sparacco looks there his first spring because, you know, we had tempered expectations for him going out to IMG Academy. He beats out another Power 5 commit to start on that D-line there. Not just and, a Power 5 commit, a guy who's committed to Georgia. and I think he's top 10 in his position ranking as well. Yeah, so he did some great things out there at IMG Academy. I'm not necessarily saying he's going to start as a true freshman, but I think he's physically impressive enough potentially to be in the rotation there. Definitely. I mean, he's a beast size-wise. I mean, he's one of those kids that you look at and you're like, okay, this kid looks like he's on campus already. He's got the size. I think two or three years into this strength program, he's going to be a bad boy. I've said on our board people need to lay off Jim Jeffcoat this offseason, in my opinion, because he's done enough mm-hmm. as a position coach. Sure. But this this is where he earns his paycheck, uh-huh. is yeah. getting this group of guys to be, and I think the expectation you set is being a middle of the Pac-12 defensive line. Yeah, I, I think that this this is going to be a tough year for him. I mean, you have a lot of new moving parts to get in, so I, if there's some struggles, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think this should be his death knell either. Uh, but this, this group of guys next year, when, again, we're going to have a very veteran group uh, playing a lot of snaps. I think they, if they're if they're not good by then, then you start to be really concerned. Taser ninety four asked for our opinions concerning the recent JUCO signings and the spring quarterback competition. He wanted to know if Bo Bisharet will move to linebacker as well. We'll lead off with the Bo Bisharet thing there. I know Jim Levitt was trying to recruit him to defense before he left Boulder. If you watched keyed in on Bo Bisharet on kickoff coverage. You would want him to move yeah. to linebacker. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm hoping and praying he moves to linebacker. I'll tell you what, because I think he has a chance to be really special there. 
Um, honestly, I don't know what's keeping him to running back at this point. I he wants to. He likes to play running back, and that's one of the main reasons he ended up at CU. So if you're CU's coaching staff, you can't really force him there. You can't opinion. force him, yeah, but, I mean, Phil's going to play a ton. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You're going to be, at best, the second-best guy there. Um, I don't think he's going to even be the second best. It just If you just watch his tape, it just doesn't fit his skill set. He's going to be much better at linebacker, and that's where he could get paid at the next level. So I wish his parents or him or whoever it needs to be would just be like, listen, this is about your future. Let's put you somewhere that you can be really successful. There was a bit of a transition he had to make, though, offensively. He was playing in a power scheme, mm-hmm. um, different than the zone running scheme that they have at Colorado. I don't. Th- I think he could develop into a good Pac-12 back, but to your point, he's not playing running back in the NFL. So you probably should go there now, get as much experience as you can on defense. In terms of the JUCO signings, um, Javier Edwards, we got to lead off there. He might be the most valuable guy in this class. Yeah, he definitely has a chance to be. Uh, Stamina is going to be an issue, especially at altitude for him. But honestly, we talk about this every year. And a space eater is huge for this defense, and we've had successful ones, even guys we worry are out of shape. So I think, honestly, he just needs to eat up blockers, and we'll figure everything else out from there. So you got to feel really good about him. Dante Wigley, I love his length. Just another Keller Witherspoon-type guy, Juco guy is going to have. He has three years, I believe, right, as well. Uh, so Wigley has a chance to be really special. He fits exactly into what we want to do on this defense. And you beat out Florida and Arkansas. Not many guys they've done that for in in recent years. One thing that I found interesting with Javier Edwards, so we know that he needs to come in and shed some of that weight, transform some of that weight. I asked Drew Wilson about Javier Edwards, and he said that when Javier Edwards was in on his official visit, he was very inquisitive and very concerned about, can you get me into the shape that I need to be in? Very self-conscious and aware that he needs to get in, in that in better shape than he is right now. And even mentioned meeting with Laurie Anderson, the nutritionist. So it's encouraging. Josh Tupo, you would heard these stories of how he would like gain 10 pounds over a weekend. And I'm not saying like, I mean, clearly Javier Edwards hasn't had the greatest discipline to get a right, little bit yeah. out of shape, right? But at least that he's talking about it and realizes that before he gets on campus is encouraging to hear. Chris Malumba has to be maybe one of the more interesting recruits that the Buffs have signed. He's 6'4", 280. He's 24 years old. He's from Finland. His family's originally from Congo. He's got a black belt in judo. He spent time in the military, and he's never visited Boulder. He used all five of his visits before he <laughs> came to Colorado. That uh, description right there has never fit any Colorado commit. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those things where we either look at it and we're like, why did we make this decision? Or he's going to be an absolute monster. <laughs> I feel like there's no real in-between there. Um, yeah, who's the rugby guy from like Canada? That, yeah, that would be kind of the example yeah, towards the exactly. WTF. Why did they yeah, sign this guy? Oh, God, what was that guy's name? I don't know. I'll think of it. It'll come. It'll pop D- up. Dakota right. Poole. Dakota Poole. Yeah, there you go. Um, this dude is a physical freak, though. At least um, he's played football. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I mean, if, he, if, he, if it clicks for him... At this level, at any point, he's going to be a machine. I mean, the guy, if you're a judo black belt, you've got athleticism. There's no way around it. Uh, and he's 280 pounds. So make sure I don't get hit by him ever in my life. <laughs> and then Dante Wigley, he's kind of that prototypical McIntyre DB recruit, long and athletic. But I think the thing, if you watch his sophomore film at Holmes Community College, it kind of makes him stand out, is that for a long athletic guy, 
he likes to get his hands dirty. He's a pretty physical guy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think he has a chance to start right away. I think he's probably the front runner right now to start right away. We'll see how he how he comes in and performs. But yeah, and then Shamar Hamilton, obviously he's on campus now, or he's going to be on campus for the spring semester as well. It sounds yeah. like so, um, and he's got a ton of athleticism as well. Another raw guy. So one one or two of these guys pans out. I think it's going to be huge for our D. I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton comes in in red shirts just because he played as a pass rusher with his hand in the ground in a, in a different type of scheme mm-hmm. defensively. He still has that red shirt in his back pocket. You've got Derek McCartney coming back, NJ Follow, Taron Hasselback, maybe Christian Shaver. So you've got a little bit of depth there, especially when you're in nickel most of the time. Um, we'll see what he does in the spring, but it wouldn't surprise me if Shamar uh, uh, redshirts. I think he, like you meant use the word raw there, I think it's going to take a little time to develop him. But you like you look on film and he does have those natural pass rush uh, instincts that you like to see out of a guy that you're going to bring in in that role. Nippus13 wants to uh, say Happy New Year to us. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year, sir. This is really early, but what percentage do you guys put on Montez being QB1 for the first offensive snap of 2017? 92%. Okay. And we're, of course, we're assuming he's healthy in this right, scenario. Yeah. I'm going to say 85%. And that 15%... It's not really meant as a knock towards Steven Montez, but Sam Neuer can sling the rock. Good poise, at least that he showed in practice so far. And then Tyler Lytle's on campus. Um, And if he – the thing is, like, you're certainly not at this point of the program wanting to start a true freshman, but that that kid is one of the best quarterbacks they've signed in a really long time. For sure. I I mean, I think the the thing you have to remember is if somehow Steven Montez does not start next year – so whoever passed him is balling because Montez is a good player. He's got NFL potential. Uh, he's shown that he can be very successful when he's given snaps for weeks in a row um, as soon as he gets comfortable in the offense. So he's it's going to be his team in the spring. Um, so if he doesn't win the job, somebody else is really playing well. Yeah, I think the main thing with Montez is it was kind of a little bit of an eye-opener this year of how hard you really have to work to be a successful quarterback. And it makes sense that it would be eye-opening for a kid that has the physical tools that he does. It's not to say he was lazy. I mean, you saw how much work he put in to put on the weight that he did coming as a kind of a string bean when he committed to Colorado. But just in terms of the mental side, getting in the film room, he even admitted this year it took that Michigan game for him to realize, okay, I've really got to spend a lot of time in the film room. I can't just rely on my arm. He's trying to work on some of the mechanics there. So there's certainly a lot of things he has to work on. But, uh, I mean, those physical tools are are pretty unbelievable. Ben Hoff asked, Will there be a different approach to special teams coaching next season? Should they either hire someone or make this a larger part of one of the coaches' job instead of splitting it up among many? Have I gone on the whole rant about uh, special teams coaching in practice recently? <laughs> I don't think so. So, first off, I'll say this. If the um, NCAA does pass this new rule that you can add a 10th assistant, then I think it would behoove Colorado to have kind of that special teams coordinator maybe on that guy, on his tag, and allowing him the freedom when it's not the middle of the season to go out and recruit and be you know a good recruiter out there as well. But the thing is, you have to split up responsibilities coaching the special teams no matter what. Yeah. Even if you have a full-time special teams coach, when you're doing kickoff coverage, kickoff return, 
dealing with the kickers and all that stuff in practice, you have to delegate those responsibilities. Do they have special teams issues this year? Absolutely. Something needs to be determined there. I don't know if the surefire answer is necessarily a full-time special teams coach. Yeah, I mean, everybody was pissed off about our special teams coordinator, so we got rid of him and didn't have one. Not everybody's pissed off that we don't have one. Everyone's just pissed off. I mean, what hasn't been good for either year, but I will say this, Diego Gonzalez getting hurt had a lot to do with our special teams goals this year. Do I think he would have been excellent? Probably not. Was he a heck of a lot better than the other two guys kicking field goals for this team last year? Definitely. That solves a lot of your issues right there. I mean, punting obviously was a bit of a question mark, especially with how Kenny finished freshman year. Surprising to see him struggle so much. But as you continue to add depth to special teams, it'll get better as it goes on. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, they do have a full-time coach on their staff that uh, works, he's a kicking specialist. The problem there is you can work on that technique until you're blue in the face, but you get out there in front of 50,000 fans, all of a sudden it becomes mental pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And Nick Grant, or uh, what's uh, Man Bun's name? Chris Graham. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> he, uh, he struggled with that at times this year. Yeah. I mean, they both did. But, I mean, they're inexperienced, and there are not a lot of good starting kickers in college football, and there are no good backup kickers. So it, that's kind of how it goes when you when your starter gets hurt. I'm curious to see how Davis Price go, goes, yeah, goes still, going forward. I mean, it's, you put yourself in his shoes. He's redshirting. He's not even thinking about having to kick, and then all of a sudden he's out there in front of all those fans. And yeah, he did I, fine. Yeah, I don't think he was that – awful to begin with honestly I think he's the guy going forward most likely for this program and I think he'll more or less be successful Ravens 0811 asked who is the most likely to get drafted out of next year's senior class oh next year's senior class uh Jeremy Irwin yeah there aren't a whole lot of options are there not a whole lot of options you know um yeah because Isaiah Oliver isn't going to be a senior he'll be a junior yeah. I mean, there's Shea yeah, Fields, probably, Devin Ross, Phil yeah. Lindsay. Those guys are really good college players, just not going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeremy uh, Marwin, I think, is maybe the only guy. I he, can't. There's no one else that's really sticking out to me right now. Yeah, and of course, Jeremy Irwin was a second-team all-conference guy this year. I, I was curious. I hadn't really looked at the offensive line grades all that much. He did predictably finish as their best offensive lineman with uh, Clayton Adams' grades. What I found interesting, he had twice as many knockdown blocks as any other CU lineman, and he only was docked for giving up half a sack in 896 snaps, so basically 900 snaps in 2016. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's real solid, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of who else. Yeah, I mean, he's he's also gotten... Laguda, but his pass yeah. coverage skills. Yeah, he's probably Brian Muller on the undersized. No, yeah, I mean, he's significantly undersized. What about sure. Derek McCartney? Yeah, that that could be. I mean, if he comes back healthy, if he has a Jimmy Gilbert type season, um, which is possible, and he's better as a run defender as well. So, I mean, if he get, if he puts up like maybe an eight sack, you know, has good run defense numbers like you expect from him, yeah, that's certainly possible. B. Wasman asked, any insight as to what is going on with Xavier Newman decommitting but deleting his tweet twice? Just a confused kid, man. I think he just doesn't want to get yelled at anymore about it. Honestly, I'd be surprised if he ends up in Colorado, which is sad. But I guess family wins out sometimes. We always yeah. we always seem to be on the wrong side of that stick. 
And this is an example of take every recruiting update with a grain of salt, even if it's written by me, because I did a story just on him a few days before, and I knew he was still listening to the, those other schools, but he was pretty convincing that he was pretty solid on Colorado. John Van Deest was out in Orlando for a few days with that and gave no indication that he was decommitting. So um, just one of those things, man. It's But what you hope for if you're a Colorado fan is in this final few weeks going, leading up to signing day, you pull a couple guys from other teams. It's Now that they're recruiting on a big boy level, that's kind of the way it goes. You, you win some, you lose some. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go, Tyler. You got your seatbelt on? You buckled up? Yeah, always. Dub P. Buff had this question for us. When does the Mike McIntyre self-love parade end so he can return home and put the pieces back together? So, <laughs> a few things here. Number one, Mike McIntyre, when you ask him about all these awards, gets almost, uh, he almost blushes. Like, he's kind of embarrassed by it. Like, he deflects it to his staff, right? But, he's also smart enough to realize this is really good exposure for your football program. Getting yeah. these National Coach of the Year awards, getting a picture taken, going on ESPNU for that uh, National Championship film room deal is good exposure for your program. Uh, number two, it's a recruiting dead period, so he couldn't have been on the road recruiting anyways. And number three, he's still working while he's on these uh, detours for these National Coach of the Year awards. He identified and locked down a defensive coordinator while doing all this. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what else to say about it other than he, I mean, so what's he supposed to do, get all these awards and then blow it off? Like, how is that going to look? You think people are going to be? You don't think there's going to be articles written about how he wins the dot award, but is too busy to show up and accept He hangs the up award. on a douchebag radio host and becomes the national story. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Anything else you want to add? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> uh, we love all our subscribers, though. Beat a buff. Don't uh, don't take it personally, but wasn't a fan of that question. Uh, <laughs> AVL buff. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Tyler? <laughs> uh, let's just continue. <laughs> AVL Buff asked, Seems like we have a lot of skies falling post due to a variety of factors. Adam, since covering the buffs, what are your top three incidents of chicken little meltdowns? This is a good timing on this question, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The sequence of this works out well. <laughs> so, I actually broke this down into two top three lists. One is... Chicken little meltdowns that were that look silly in hindsight, and then three chicken little meltdowns that were justified. The ones that look silly in hindsight, of course, we just have to look to last year, the Davis Webb saga. Okay, yes. that has to be up there. For that sure, that has to be in the top three. Yeah, the lengthy DC search two wow. years ago, uh, when Jim Levitt was hired, it was really taking a long time, and with David Gibbs taking the Texas Tech thing. Fans were getting really, really impatient. That was that was a like that month of that search or month and a half felt like two years <laughs> for me, honestly. Yep. And then I don't know if it was it didn't end up in a meltdown because Daryl Scott signed with Colorado, but through that whole saga, I think you that's when you signed up, right? No, Daryl? I was on a little bit before okay. that, but it was definitely early on. In the process. But there was a lot of chicken little going on throughout that yeah, process. That was probably year three for me. Okay. And especially when it looked like he was going to flip to Texas, there was a lot. And, and then, of course, it all comes down to hindsight being 2020 that Daryl Scott didn't end up being a very good 
college player. So it looks silly uh, in that regard. I might be forgetting some that were more so than those three, but those are three that came to mind. Now, the three chicken little meltdowns that were justified, Dan Hawkins being retained for a fifth year. That was bad. Yeah. That set the program back a lot further than it needed to be. Mike Bones was handcuffed. We knew that he wanted to get rid of Dan Hawkins. Mm-hmm. We can fault Mike Bones for a few things. That definitely was not one of them. What about the, the Hawaii game in 2015? Oh, God, yeah. That was pretty bad. Um, I would put, I don't know if this is your third one, so sorry if I ruined it, but Fresno as well. Oh, was yeah. Really that was bad. justified. <laughs> and Toledo, sure. Toledo. There's a, there's a couple in there that are that just like so That Fresno game was like playing a video game on easy mode. <laughs> Seriously. It was so bad. Do you remember? We, I was at, it was like one of my first, I think it was my first year at Blake Street, and we were like trying to have this huge party for it. We had an outdoor big screen TV in the parking lot that we did for that game. And there was like 500 people in the parking lot just watching this on a 20-foot screen. <laughs> and it was well, it was like 50-0 to zero at halftime. Yeah. We've just uh, regressed a little bit on this show talking about that, that era. <laughs> oh, God. Bryce Winnie has a different type of question. What's your favorite women's sport? Soccer was great this season. Volleyball had its moments while they are rebuilding. Women's basketball so far with a turnaround similar to the football team. And the lacrosse team looks to be solid again. The men's sports bring in all the revenue, but it's great to see CU competitive across all sports. Obviously, cross-country and our skiing team kill it as always. I know your answer. Here, Tyler, and it's going to be the same as mine. Volleyball. Right. Yeah. Um, I, people always are like, ah, you're just creepy. I'm like, no, I legitimately, <laughs> for, for my entire life, men's and women's volleyball, I've really enjoyed the sport. Um, I said I was going to get season tickets this year, and I did not do that. But next year, I for sure am. Um, yeah, I, every time I go to a game, I have a great time. It's a really fun sport. Um, if if I was to, if it, I was to have had volleyball at my high school, I would have one hundred percent played for sure. The reason I like it is just because it shows that women can be really athletic. Mm-hmm. In basketball, they look really robotic, almost kind of uh, mechanical out there. It's just amazing to me how athletic those women look in volleyball, how quickly they can get up and down off the off the floor. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I enjoy watching that for sure. I feel like the only game I've been to, if I remember right, is when they did the Buffs Madness basketball event after it. And I remember really liking it. And if there were more hours in the day, I would probably enjoy covering the women's volleyball team. Um, what are your – I mean, J.R. Payne, we got to talk about – we have not mentioned – that basketball team and what they've done this year, they've had a, had a great season under her. They definitely have. Unfortunately, um, I haven't really watched them play yet, but I know their point guard is a baller, Kennedy Leonard. Yeah. Uh, so I get, and she's only a sophomore, I think, so she's going to be, by the time she's done, she might have a chance to be an All-American with the numbers she's putting up already. Uh, I, I, I'd still be surprised if they finish in like the top third of the Pac-12 this year. It's a really deep league for women's basketball, um, and they started off really hot, but um, they're going to have to play really well to finish strong in the Pac-12. Uh, they'll have an outside shot to make the tournament, though. Women's soccer is fun to watch, too. I enjoy watching the national team whenever they're playing. Um, I think of women's sport, soccer translates probably about as well as Yeah, I enjoy watching it more than men's soccer, for sure. Nippus13 had another question here, and this is our official segue into men's basketball talk, in case you don't care and want to tune us out now. But we would appreciate <laughs> it if you continue to still listen. No, you got to go to the game on Thursday, everybody. 
right. if not for anything, just to watch a really talented UCLA team. Okay. That's not a very good sales pitch. <laughs> Why not? Come to the Coors Event Center to watch the other team beat up on the Buffs. That's what they won't necessarily get up on them. They're a fun team to watch, though. If you like basketball at all, that UCLA is a really fun team to watch. But back to Nippus 13 and his question here. He said, I like seeing Tad Boyle fired up versus Arizona. Normally I'm not a fan of that, but his team has not found the fire in my opinion. Is Tad's emotion something you think Tad needs to have the rest of the season to keep the guys as highly motivated as possible? Do you like it and or do you think it was a one-time thing? I think he's referring to where Tad slammed his fist on the table and got the tech, right? Well, I mean, he was... That was, was that the he only was, occurrence of that? No, game? he was noticeably heated to the entire game. Okay. I mean, he was complaining the entire game. Okay. It was a horribly officiated game, and I think that honestly has more to do with his emotion than trying to get the team fired up. Um, I hope he doesn't have to be that emotional again because I'm really tired of college basketball and how it's officiated. It's driving me nuts. It's amazing how terrible these dudes are at their job. Well, Ted is an emotional guy during practice, so it's not like he doesn't mm-hmm. try to fire these guys up almost on a daily basis on some level. Yeah. Uh, in terms of whether I like it or not, yeah, I would rather have a coach that's emotional than somebody that's just stoic and blah over there. Absolutely. You want you want to have a coach that you feel like is fighting for you on the court, which Tad Boyle certainly does. Nippus13 had another question here. Were either of you a fan of U of A's jerseys, and did you notice how shiny slash Christmas wrapping papery Sean Miller's tie was? Hideous or acceptable? So I didn't really, they didn't leave like a major impression on me, so I had to go back and look. And I don't know if in HD it looks different than it does in a picture by USA Today Sports, but the tile looked just fine to me. Um, I refuse to go look at a picture of Sean Miller on my off time because I don't like Sean Miller. So I'm just going to assume that his tie was hideous because he's Sean Miller and go with that. Uh, as far as their jerseys, they are absolutely terrible, but that's standard for Arizona. Um, didn't, I like the, the faded gray look. Oh, I thought God. they did a better job. They're better than their board shorts version. Well, then their football, where they fade the blue to the red and it looks kind of cheesy. Pretty much everything Arizona does, uniform-wise, I'm not a huge fan. I like the colors. Yeah, but they somehow ruin them every single year. they got to go back to those 90s Arizona uniforms with Jason Terry and Damon Sotomayor. Those were fly. Buffs AZ asked. we got another one here, Tyler. What does Coach Boyle need to do to sign a Pac-12-level talent? Well, whatever he did for the 2017 class. Well, here's the thing, too, is that he's got a winning record at CU in conference play overall, and he's only finished with a losing conference record once, once in his tenure. Yeah, and it was when his best player was hurt. So you have to be signing <laughs> Pac-12-level talent to accomplish that, right? Yeah, I would agree. <clears throat> um, I will say that this year's team is fully deserving of all criticism at this point. But oh, absolutely. See, that's the thing is that why can't we talk about Tad Boyle, criticize him, and criticize this team without being overdramatic about it all the time? Because that's not what we do. <laughs> that's what I've learned in the past 10 years of being on this board. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the last few classes, he certainly struggled. Had some guys transfer out. Some things haven't worked out for him. Um, but Derek White certainly seems to be a Pac-12 talent. So they obviously they only have him for one year. I mean, it's just hard to... I can't explain to you why Josh Fortune is considerably worse than he was last year, or Wesley Gordon is considerably worse than he was last year, or all of their guards are considerably worse. Um, It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Boyle definitely needs to be held responsible to some degree for that, but 
Um, I think we need to stop pretending like this is the end of college basketball being good in, in Boulder with Tad Boyle here. Um, the class they're bringing in next year is really strong. Might it fail just like all the other ones? I suppose it's possible, but I trust Tad to bring us back just like he has in all the other years. So, we promised Pac-12 power rankings, and Tyler's about to deliver. Yes. Pac-12 power rankings, your guys' favorite segment, as always, from 12 to 1. Arizona, number 12. Yes, they beat Arizona State in their last game. I understand that. They're also the worst team in the conference, let's be honest. Arizona State, a lot of injuries. I was kind of hoping for (laughs) basketball power rankings here, Tyler. Oh, you were? (laughs) Yes. Why? Because we're in the basketball segment no, of not. our show, we were in, we were in. we transitioned from uh, basketball. Right, I can give them to you probably off the top of my head. Yeah, Oregon State is twelve. It's gonna be really raw, raw, raw from Tyler. The raw power rankings. Make sure I don't skip anybody. Oregon State twelve. Uh, talked about them being overrated to start the year. They are in fact quite overrated. That team is terrible. Um, Washington State number eleven. They are in fact two and one in conference play though. Which is really sad for the rest of the conference. Um, Washington, number 10. Markel Fultz is absolutely ridiculous. The rest of their roster is absolutely trash. Um, Number 9. I would like to put Arizona State here, but they just beat us, so I suppose that I can't. Uh, Stanford, 0-3 in conference play. Uh, People, Actually, I can't remember what I said about Stanford to start the year, honestly. But they just have no guys to me. It's hard to be really good unless you have someone that you can go to every single night. Um, Reed Travis is a good player, but if he's your best player, you're not very good. Um, I will go, so what is it, my number eight now? Arizona State, I will go. Yes, Colorado lost to them, but it was on the road by one point, and that foul call is really weak, let's be honest. Number seven, Colorado. 0-3 in conference play, one of two teams that don't have a win. Not exactly great. Um, USC, I'm going to have number six, unless I'm missing somebody, which I might be. Um, they are 15-2 and two right now, but just lost at home to Cal. Um, I think they're a little bit overrated right now, honestly. They didn't play a very tough schedule. Uh, we'll see how, how things go for them moving forward. I'll have, I'll have Cal 5. Um, definitely improving. That was a big win for them to get the win at USC. That's going to be big for their resume going forward. I think they're probably... Um, the one team that's kind of outside of what everybody is referring to right now as a team that might end up making the tournament kind of beyond expectations. For Utah, uh, they look a lot better now that they have their transfers eligible. Cedric Barefield has been a big uh, big piece for them. David Collette has been really, really steady for them, which has been nice to see. And uh, Why were course, they both uh, not able to play early in the season? Because they transferred in the middle of the year. Oh, so they sat out half of that last yeah. year. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, gotcha. Yeah, both of them. Uh, so, and then obviously Kyle Kuzma, when healthy, is one of the best players in the Pac-12. He's had a fantastic year so far. Um, let's see who's left. Uh, I'll take Arizona third. Uh, they are undefeated in conference play so far. They've looked better than expected, given all the issues they have. Alonzo Trier being out is huge for them. Uh, their freshmen have played really well though. Um, Lori Markinen is a fantastic shooter, solid big man, and he's a lot more stout than I thought he was going to be coming in. He's been a big piece for them. Kobe Simmons has been a little bit inconsistent, but can definitely go off on any given night. Uh, they've, they've got some talented pieces. They're a little bit better than I thought they were going to be, honestly, without Trier. Um, Oregon is number two, even though they just beat UCLA for me. 
started off really slow, but have gotten extremely hot here over the past few weeks, and they're starting to play a lot more like we all expected them to to start the year. A lot of the people had them as a Final Four contender, and the way they're playing now, I think they could still get back there. Uh, UCLA is one of the five best teams in the country. Unbelievable talent. They're the best offensive team I've seen this year, and in quite some time, period. They have a lot of dudes who you're going to see get drafted in the lottery next year. They're really, really impressive. That was pretty impressive off the cuff. Thank you. Do you do you want to run down your football power rankings? Nah. Okay. Nah. Sorry. It wasn't that. We're sorry, not missing anything that great. Sorry, I was wrong. It's all good. It's all good. But uh, let's continue with a little bit more basketball talk. We've already run our mouse long enough. We should probably go through this relatively quickly. Buffaloes go out to the Grand Canyon State and. They're really one box out away from having what I think would be largely considered a successful trip out there, but yet instead, that doesn't happen in their own three in conference. Yeah, I mean, I said that loss is probably the reason they're not going to make the tournament this year. Uh, they haven't played well enough to do it anyway, even if they had won that game. But you can't go 0-3, especially with USC and UCLA coming to town. There's a very real chance the Buffs could be 0-5, and then obviously you can just kiss the season goodbye. Um, I don't think they'll be 0-5. I think they'll find a way to beat USC. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they beat UCLA. There's just too much talent and size on that team. Um, Then they go on the road, I believe, to the Washingtons. They could definitely sweep that. Uh, They need to get at least one. Otherwise, their season's done uh, as well. Uh, let's just say they end up there. They're going to be two and five. Let's just say going through that, their schedule the rest of the way is extremely light. They still would have a chance to finish 500 in league play, which would get them to 19 wins. Not going to make the tournament with that, but they could make the NIT. So I don't, I don't think all hope is lost yet. Their schedule really lightens up after this week. Um, they're 0 and 3, but a lot of teams would be 0 and 3 with that schedule. Uh, outside of maybe the Arizona State game, that's that's one that's going to hurt them. Um, but Utah almost lost to Arizona State as well. So we'll see how it plays out. I think Arizona State's kind of improving a little bit. And they and, and honestly, they probably should have won that game. Um, but it's going to definitely hurt them down the stretch. Xavier Johnson makes six of his first seven shots in that game in Tempe. And uh, he gets ejected. Jethro Tashumba was kind of the instigator there for the most part, I would think, right? Kind of, yeah. I would say I mean, definitely. <laughs> the only thing I can think of when I kept rewatching it is that when XJ kind of went about trying to retaliate, that's when the official, one of the officials on the right side of him got knocked down. I'm thinking that's the only plausible explanation for him getting ejected, right? Yeah, although apparently, according to the actual report, that's not why he got ejected. Oh, yeah, I didn't for, see that. Yeah, they said it was for... Basically, just retaliating to the fight, which is BS. Right. Um, in my opinion, the dude went after him. He defended himself pretty much as simple He's, as that. Tashumbo's the reason that they yeah. ended up on the ground, yeah. and then the reason that he had to, to retaliate. Yeah, it, it was BS for sure. And the sure. retaliation was, he basically got stopped before he could do anything anyways. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I will say is, even with him getting ejected, having Derek White score 35 and still not finding a way to win, it's really just highlighting how little everybody else on this team is doing. Xavier Johnson's playing well. Derek White's playing well. Everybody else on this team is quite honestly playing that garbage. And one somebody needs to step up. I mean, West played well against Arizona, but there's no reason that he shouldn't be playing like that every night. It's maddening that he can't be productive on a nightly level, on a nightly level in this league. I'm going to give you the title of Colorado men's basketball head coach, Tyler. 
you inherited this group. How are you, what's your rotation looking like uh, on Thursday night? Um, well, there's two ways you can go about it for me, both involving Josh sitting on, on the bench and going um, down the rotation into the bench. You either are starting Derek White and Dom Collier together as a two-guard lineup, then going George King, um, Wesley Gordon, and you know there's a lot of other ways you could go with the last spot. Xavier Johnson would be the main one, obviously. Um, or you, your players want to know their role, t- role Tyler. Okay, I'll just give me. Let me give you both options right. here. And the other option is you go big and you start Tory. Um, I think that might help West rebounding, get him off being as the biggest man of the court. I think he's struggling a little bit there. Tory is actually. I didn't think he played well in Arizona, but the previous three games he has actually been somewhat productive, and it might help our rebounding issues to play them more together. Um, so those are the two ways you have to go about it. I think maybe it'll allow Josh to come in and kind of do what he's he needs to do on the court. Um, having him be the second ball handler puts him in a lot of positions where he's not going to be successful. Running the fast break, he can't finish, he can't pass. I mean, that's just not going to work out for him. Uh, I think maybe just allowing him to take more open looks and trying to pare down what else his responsibility is might be good for him. Um, Dom Collier coming off the ball, same thing. It's going to have a little more opportunity to shoot. I think Derek White, despite him not being a true point guard, has to try to create for others a little bit more, get George King involved, get Dom Collier involved, and even get Wes involved. Um, I liked Wes shooting that three in Arizona game. I think it was his first attempt of the year. He was really solid at that last year. It makes no sense to me that they have, they aren't trying to space people out sometimes with him on the floor. Um, and somebody else just basically has to step up. I mean, the fact that George King is shooting the same percentage as Josh Fortune from three was shocking to me. That's really bad. I mean, because it seems like Josh hasn't made anything in a month. Um, obviously, George hasn't either. So, simply put, somebody has to step up and play a third role on this team. No one's been able to do it so far. But I think Josh Fortune starting at this point is Tad Boyle is just being stubborn and you know trying to trying to beat a dead horse. So what type of minutes are Dalyon Brown, Bryce Peters, Akizili, Seward? Uh, what what type of role? Seward can't have? play for me right now. Um, he's an offensive guy that can't make any shots, so it's tough for him, tough to put him on the floor. I think Akizili's probably gotten too much blame for what's going on right now. I mean, he's playing poorly, but so are everybody else in front of him you got to kind of have to give everybody an equal shot to show up there. I think De'Leon Brown is not playing enough minutes right now. You could definitely be starting him. Uh, he would be my first guy off the bench, if not for energy and defense. Uh, he's not putting up a ton of points either right now, so I'd like to see him be a little more aggressive. Yeah, he's shooting 46% from the field, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, not, he's just not shooting the ball. Right. I think he's got to come out and be a little more assertive. He's been terrific defensively. Uh, and who am I missing? Oh, Bryce Peters has not been... Great so far. I do love his energy, though, his effort, so at least he's giving me that aspect of the game. But he's got to put the, put something in the hoop and be a little more consistent on the defensive end. And did I miss somebody? What's no, I think you, you're good. Yeah, I mean, those those guys, DeLeon, I think, is playing by far the best out of anybody coming off the bench right now. But let's just say you, you if you're starting Dom instead of DeLeon, he's probably seventh off the bench. I mean, I think with Fortune coming in first. All right. So number four, UCLA comes to Boulder on Thursday night, 9 p.m. Mountain Time. Not a big fan of that. Uh, I'm too old for that, those start times. National TV audience on uh, FS1 on Thursday night. And then number 25, USC comes to town on Sunday at 6.30 p.m. TV there on ESPNU. 
Buffs ten and six right now. Would a split be considered a successful week here? <laughs> well, compared to what they've done so far in Pac-12 play, yeah, definitely. I mean, they don't have a win yet. Um, yes, I mean, I think it's very unrealistic to expect us to beat UCLA. That team is extremely, extremely good. Uh, we've struggled a little bit rebounding ball, and UCLA is massive, so I can't see that being changed much in that game. Uh, they are going to score at will. and Predict a spread there. Oh, God. Uh, whatever it is is not going to be high enough, probably. Six? Like, I would think UCLA will be favored by nine, but I think it should be more like 12. Okay. Even in Boulder. Yeah. I mean, UCLA is, they're just going to overwhelm. I mean, unless, unless we finally figure it out and play well. I mean, if we don't play perfect basketball, we have no chance. So you asked yesterday whether you should do your annual bubble watch yeah. series of articles. Well, I'm going to do it. I just okay. didn't know if, if the board wanted to. I think I think honestly, it depends on what happens this week. If they go over, yeah, I don't think that'll happen. I think like like I said, I think USC is a team that certainly you can beat when you're at home. Um, and the Buffs are probably going to be sitting at 0 and 4 and quite desperate. If they don't get that one, you might as well just cancel the season. All right. I think we've talked long enough. you have any parting uh, words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll throw that bubble watch thing out there for you guys, okay. um, just in case some of you are interested in seeing what else the other teams are doing out there. I think people are generally surprised by how weak the resumes are at the bottom of the, of the bubble. So, um, you know, sometimes in basketball, I mean, if we win both of these games by a miracle, we're going to be right back in the thick of things uh, with two winnable road games coming up. So you never know. Sometimes it comes at you quickly. But uh, they, the Buffs need to really turn it on. All right. That wraps up this show. Thanks for tuning in.